Hello and welcome to episode 339 of the Creighton Crowbar. It is the 10th of September 2020. My name is Chris Thurston and joining me this evening are Graham Smith. Hello. And Tom Senior. Good day. Tom, I'm enjoying your crystal clear audio thanks to the first actual audio setup any of us have attempted to build in this <laughs> six months of doing the podcast this well, way. I'm still fine-tuning it, but uh, it's going to sound better and better as the weeks go by. <laughs> Oh, so we can wait. Like as the podcast goes on, <laughs> you'll only get clearer and clearer and clearer until we okay. can't take it anymore. <laughs> Good. Um, yeah, uh, I feel like we're just getting finally getting used to this setup. It's only been half a year. Maybe in another year, uh, I'll I'll no longer miss seeing your faces. But so it goes. At least we get Graham into the bargain. <laughs> hey, Graham. That is good. I'm pretty good. Um, of taking a running. Wow, Ooh. as is traditional during lockdown mm. and quarantine and and at midlife, which is which is yeah. what my parents tell me it is. Um, so running to or from anything, or just from, around from my children. From, ah. from, <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> to salvation. Um, I no, see. I'm just no, I'm just. I got I got an app, uh, and so it's become like trying to beat my high score. I just try mm. and run further and further every day. <laughs> wow, I've been um, I've been trying to get healthy as well, but mostly through the medium of uh, going for walks and not ordering chips <laughs> with my Deliveroo. It doesn't mean any less <laughs> Deliveroo, but just getting out the chips, and that's working sort of. So I applaud your initiative. I've been uh, I've been trying to fight people, but no one will fight me, which is sad. <laughs> uh, so I've been trying to take up jujitsu, uh, which of course at a socially distanced time is not the ideal time to take up a mm. very close quarters, close combat sport. Um, but that's my plan. And uh, I, I tried running, and I, I've just almost died of boredom. <laughs> so <laughs> try something else instead. So Tom, you were recently teaching yourself chess, yeah? Oh yeah, still, I, still am. Yeah. So you. So you've done the chess part of the montage, and now you're doing <laughs> the jiu-jitsu part of the montage. Look, I'm What's going. Next, do you think look, it's, <laughs> in it's your slow montage? Every single middle-aged crisis thing uh, that can happen. It's going to be a sports car, probably. Maybe, yeah, yeah, I was thinking maybe that. A motorbike. Um, it's going to be all of it. <laughs> all of it's going to happen. I just, I'm feeling like, like we need like to play, like push it to the limit or something, very, very, very slowly under your life, because like, it's, <laughs> it's like a real time montage. No, I'll try to speed um, up. I've slowed down in my <laughs> my thirty uh, fourth year, so I'm trying to speed up again. Yeah, man, I just, just, just getting, but day by day and collecting increasingly large ranks of halberdiers. That's what my <laughs> midlife looks like. <laughs> It's nice when they rank up, Tom. It's nice I when they rank up. That, you, yeah. you should know. I, um, I know too well. Yeah. <laughs> Good. Um, so it's a, it's a news day in video games industry land because the it feels like every day is a you play Ubisoft conference of some kind. E3 there never was ended. one recently, right? Like I'm I'm not going mad, but yeah. they're doing it again. Yeah. There was Ubisoft forward. One was like three weeks ago or something like that. And this is right. the, the second half of Ubisoft's not E3 stuff. I see. Because I didn't really understand what was going on. And this is, we should maybe clarify, happening pretty much right now as we're recording this. So yeah. you're getting, don't treat us as a news source if, if Ubisoft news is what you want. But Graham, I believe you had a chance to watch some of it before we came to do this. 
Yeah, I just watched some of it, and then I had it on a second screen <laughs> as we were chatting beforehand. Uh, and there's been there's been some news. I mean, I guess I guess the first thing to note is that much like the the last time Eve Gilmo released a, or Ubisoft released a video of Eve Gilmo hmm. apologizing for U- Ubisoft's just awful internal culture and endless stories of harassment of which there have been more this past week um Mm. so they did another video apologizing for that and apologizing for the the terrible tom clancy intro right black lives matter stuff and um saying that they were going to donate money to the naacp and that sort of stuff um which is something uh, and they got that out of the way, basically, by doing a tweet about an hour before the show. So they could then move on to the marketing, which is now what I shall move on to. Um, <laughs> so basically, I mean, there's a bunch of updates for things, but the three main bits of news. Um, one, the Scott Pilgrim game is coming back after being off sale mm, for six God, years. Yeah. Um, it was released like 10 years ago and removed from sale for licensing reasons, I think about six years ago. And there's been a bit of a Twitter campaign um, to bring it back this year involving Brian Lee O'Malley, the comic artist that created the series. Uh, and it's worked. And so they're, gonna, you know, they're re-releasing it, which is nice. That's nice. Hmm. Um, and the second thing was they're doing a Prince of Persia Sands of Time remake um, hmm. Hmm. which is interesting like I like the Prince of Persia series I'm glad to see it coming back I'm slightly disappointed that it's a remake because there was a hmm. leak earlier this week that there was going to be a new Prince of Persia game announced um, and so I was hoping it would be a, a properly new game but the Sands of Time from 2003 was like the good Prince of Persia game. I think possibly, other than the original 2D Prince of Persia, maybe the only unequivocally good <laughs> Prince of Persia game. Yeah. Um, it's the one that first introduced the time rewind mechanics. Uh, and so, like a modernized, fancy graphics version of that seems like quite a nice thing. Do you guys care about Prince of Persia at all? I actually I really enjoyed the original games. Um, there's also a kind of really fun unreliable narrator aspect to prince of persia where the prince is telling you the story and the whole excuse for the reason why you can rewind time is that if you fall down a pit and die on some spikes he says oh no that's not how it happened <laughs> this is <laughs> this is the, the other way this is how it actually happened i i, I aced it i aced everything <laughs> uh which is <laughs> like a, a really fun conceit uh i think i wonder how it will stand up to being remade though because it's very much kind of one route through the environments a kind of roller coaster game really and that's yeah. really, really old-fashioned, uh, as much as I enjoyed it. And the combat wasn't great. Uh, so I, I wonder if they'll change some things about the game to modernise it. I've just thought about that. Conce- I, re- I also really liked the unreliable narrator idea. And, but I've just thought about it for more than 10 seconds for the first time. <laughs> and that implies that as he's telling the story to whoever he's telling it to, I think... I think you do know who he's telling it to in the game. Mm-hmm. He's saying, and then I did a cool jump, but I landed on some spikes and died. Actually, no, I didn't. <laughs> I, uh, I did a cool jump. The worst <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But like, he's got this kind of verbal tick where occasionally he has to describe in graphic detail his own death. And then, gosh, <laughs> no, that didn't happen. I lost, and then I lost a fight really badly because I uh, didn't jump in time to dodge the sword. Actually, that didn't happen. That didn't happen. I, uh, I won. I won the fight. Um, yeah, I was thinking... It would be cool. I like remakes where you can like um, 
switch back to the old version of the game mm. you know like you can like i think the the, the halos the remastered halos do that where you can just press a button and see it in its the original textures and, and everything else it'd be fun to do it with Prince of Persia like if you held down the rewind button too long it <laughs> loaded <laughs> the, the previous version but it seems like rich pickings <laughs> I would be up for that um, the other main thing they announced which is I think is a brand new game um, called Riders Republic I don't think they announced that previously but um it looks like what was that snowboarding game that Ubisoft released a couple of years Steep. back? That's the one. Oh, yeah, it looks it. like looks like if you took Steep and you made it about all the other things you can ride as well. Um, oh. So it's now got as well as snowboards. It's also got skateboards. It's got mountain bikes. It's got um, wingsuits. It's got and then it's like a multiplayer game where you seem to be able to have a hundred people on a track slamming their way down a mountain together. Um, some of them on bikes, <clears throat> some of them on wingsuits. I, I, I'll be honest, it looked pretty fun. I was watching it with the sound down and it actually looked good. Had the same sort of energy as, man, I can't remember the name of any Ubisoft game. Um, they're racing one about going across America. The crew? That's the one. That's, that's <laughs> like kind of like uh, multiplayer chicanery. It's about racing, but not really. It's about having fun with your mates and wearing colorful What's that clothes. Game? What's the game called? The, the one that's like steep, but not? Riders Republic. Riders Republic. That's a terrible yeah. name. <laughs> that is. Yeah. It sounds great, though. <laughs> um, it's not as bad as uh, the other game, which they've been showing off at the event, uh, Immortals Phoenix Rising, Rising right. which is the game that was previously called Gods and Monsters, which was just like a, a much clean, name. descriptive name, and now it's called Immortals Phoenix Rising, and Phoenix is spelled F-E-N-Y-X. Oh, fuck's um, sake. <laughs> which is... <laughs> which is uh, <laughs> I That's mean, none of the ways to spell that. <laughs> I mean, I guess when you type it into Google, nothing else is going to come up by mistake. Um, but basically, it just looks like Breath of the Wild. I mean, if, if Breath of the Wild was Nintendo looking at the Ubisoft formula and working out mm. ways to make that cleaner and better, um, Immortals seems to be Ubisoft looking at Breath of the Wild and thinking of ways to make that cluttered and less good <laughs> <laughs> um but it's you know oh, it's like man. a big open environment it's got like puzzle rooms that you go into and have to do like environmental stuff it's got like a bunch of the same powers in terms of like ability to like pick up objects and maybe like creative problem solving and combat stuff it's got you can you can tame horses it's uh it's it's pretty damn breath of the wild um and so mm. maybe maybe that'll be fun is that the one with like the ancient Greece setting? Yeah, yeah. So you you're li- you literally have wings and you fight a griffin and that sort of stuff. Hmm. Sounds okay. <laughs> I liked I liked Breath of the Wild. I liked Breath yeah. of the Wild well enough that to be honest, just okay, Breath of the Wild. Yeah, probably. I'll give that a go. Yeah, yeah. Likewise. I guess it makes sense for them to want to apply that formula to a game that kids can play. You know, they don't really have one of them. Like they're all very violent. The UB open worlds. So mm. maybe that's a nice reapplication of the same hmm. same ideas. But yeah, um, 
that wasn't a uh, I wasn't overwhelmed by that pitch. I've got to say, no, no. Yeah. I think Riders Republic is definitely the most interesting thing to come out of Ubisoft forward. Hmm. Would have been nice if uh, Ives had uh, apologized on the stream instead of doing it in this detached way. I, um, I, I should say, I don't know that they didn't play that clip at the okay. start of the stream because I wasn't there at the very beginning. They might have played it, but certainly they, they tweeted that out separately a couple of hours beforehand. Hmm. Um, so I think I, I, I have limitless contempt for that man, <laughs> uh, <laughs> frankly, because it, like the reason why a lot of CEOs uh, explain their paychecks is because the buck stops with them responsibility for what happens in the company ultimately should go uphill and arrive at the CEO's desk. And the idea that, like, oh, all the, all the sex pests have sacked themselves. Now this man is just, like, immune. I think it's just appalling. I think it's just terrible. Mm. It's, 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 it's a failure of corporate governance, but also just a failure of just morality and, like, what you want business leaders to, to be like. Uh, so I've, I've been very cross about that recently. Yeah, that makes sense. It's, like... Yeah, um, there's a, we, we, I think last time, last Uber play, whenever that was, um, last Uber forward thing, we did have the conversation about what the appropriate way for them to foreground those issues while still giving the individual developers whose work is on show their moment. And that's sure. a tough balance because there's a lot of people at that company, a lot of people at that company. I think that's why. I think you're right, like I, broad, more broadly. Yeah, I think that's that's what annoys me so much, actually, Chris, is that there are literally thousands of developers, producers, writers, artists who do amazing work at Ubisoft. And yeah. they've just been so thoroughly let down by the top tier of that company. Um, and that's a real shame. Yeah. Uh, and because Ubisoft has the means, it has the resources to push gaming forwards, like to make new, yeah. genuinely new experiences, new games. And it sounds like they've just, in terms of the character work and stuff, they've just been held back by this layer of uh, backwards yeah. thinking people at the top. It's, it's, it, I've, uh, I've met, a bunch of people at the top of Ubisoft, including Yves Gamal, and I've had some experience of their structure. And, and the thing that I think is, I think you're right, absolutely right about Ubisoft generally, because they're, because it's a, like, I mean, there's a hesitate to say this for a company with so many people, but because it, it's got at its core, like a kind of single, single leadership team, basically the, the kind of the core of a family business, which is what it originally was. Mm. Um, it's capable of acting directly on issues if it chooses to yes and i think that uh, in a way that other big publishers which are sometimes more structured as like fractious warring city states where individual producers have domain over different parts of the company and no one ever agrees on anything um ubisoft has traditionally acted a lot more singly in the way that it pursues things which is the reason why you end up seeing same designs you know propagate across different parts of the company they also tend to start studios rather than buy them which yep. again leads to a kind of singular identity across multiple or close to across multiple different parts of the, that massive operation. And there's tons of downsides to that. And I think it's also, a, uh, as is demonstrably the case, an environment that is um, absolutely vulnerable to abuse. And they clearly, you know, from everything that's been said, lapsed in their duty to police that in any way. Yeah, until no call to account, yeah. which is a massive, massive failing. But it's and that's why I think it's a shame. You're right because a structure like that is the kind of structure that's also capable of instituting kind of organization wide change um, in a way that other maybe big publishers of or, or developers of similar size 
can't necessarily because they are like affiliations of multiple acquired entities that are all kind of operating under one one auspice if that makes sense like and that's yeah it's just a huge shame but again like the issue of corporate responsibility and where that book should stop and what public gestures need to be made in order to express that the changes happen I, I kind of agree with you that i don't doesn't feel that it doesn't feel that those significant changes have have really happened although i suppose the as ever with these situations the proof of that is in these allegations not coming up in the future rather than there being a positive yeah. news that you could be given yeah there's almost nothing they could do in this moment except just change quietly change and yeah. become better and let their reputation recover over the next few years um but yeah i just wanted to voice <laughs> voice my no, comments i think it's completely um, reasonable yeah I think it's also important to flank Ubisoft news in this way at this moment. Mm. Like when I realized that we were going to be recording this at the same time as the thing was on, my first thought was like, oh, well, it doesn't really matter because I'm not necessarily like super thrilled to report all the latest Ubisoft news at the moment because, yeah, you know, Caveats. it's, 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 <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's hugely loaded. Although that notwithstanding, you know, there are, thousands and thousands of people whose work is being revealed tonight yeah, and that, sure yeah know. yeah yeah good point that's like they you know those people deserve to be celebrated particularly if they've made a good game but going downhill with your mates yeah 100 percent agree although going downhill with your mates it shouldn't be a ubisoft corporate strategy <laughs> um <laughs> there's there's other stuff that happened at ubisoft forge which might still be going on for all i know um which i didn't mention which uh and given this this context of everything, it gives me real pause. Like, for example, they announced that Watch Dogs Legion is going to have a mission in it featuring Stormzy. Um, mm. and, and they've hmm. they've obviously paid him to be part of the game's marketing. And so he was, you know, part of Ubisoft Forward, did a video to cam- camera about how excited he was to be part of Watch Dogs Legion and I don't know. I can't read something like that as anything other than. I mean, it's ob- it's obviously marketing. It's always marketing. Sure. Um, but Stormzy, given his place within culture and his political outspokenness, getting him in particular seems. I don't know. Is it like an apology tour almost? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Part, part of the apology tour essentially. Yeah. yeah, and then when that's coupled with you know the apology that that you've recorded. You know, he starts by saying something like, earlier this year, we've discovered that people within Ubisoft, and it's like, well, when you mm. say we discovered, who do you mean? Because the people who are making these statements uh, say that they reported them to HR, oftentimes right. years and years and years ago, and nothing was done until they came out publicly. And so, like, when you say we discovered, it's like, well, it seems like... Ubisoft discovered a lot of this stuff a long time ago, but didn't act until they were forced to act. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, right. And so making very kind of like political, like PR moves, uh, maybe more than actual acts of contrition, um, creates yeah. a great deal. It does. It's such a, like, I mean, it's obviously most pronounced in the Clancy stuff, obviously. Um, but there's such a degree of having cake and eating it with that entire subject matter. We talked about this last week when we were talking about the the issue with the Tom Clancy's Elite Squad intro um, and its 
sort of insensitivity and uh, Marsh described it as boneheadedness. Yeah. Um, it feels like, and and having just sort of been maybe a little kind of cold on the idea of them making a making a Breath of the Wild game, like I think there's part of this which is like step off the gas of we can make socially aware games at the moment because you need to clean your own house first, like yeah. mm-hmm. really badly. Like no one's looking to Ubisoft for like moral leadership via watchdogs. <laughs> like no nobody nobody is looking for that. So, I mean, it's not to say don't make that game, but again, like leading with that as a marketing thing, um, using that as something to maybe um, gesture at reform doesn't work for me. Like going away and saying, we're just going to make games about mountain bikes and, you know, mythology while we figure our shit out is probably a better way of approaching this. Um, Get out of that territory completely because clearly there's not the responsibility there to handle it deftly because how many times do you have to give any any given creative person or agency like the benefit of the doubt on like you can responsibly handle themes of activism or you know etc i don't know yeah yeah they said he said in the in the apology video that they were making steps taking steps to make sure that that tom clancy intro video that something like that can never happen again um but it's hard to know like what 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 those steps are because the the way to make sure it doesn't happen is to not do it (laughs) like yeah (laughs) or just have some human being just flipping sense check it just yeah you know what i mean i i kind of these things have to go through so many layers of editing and like approval processes yeah. especially in large companies so the idea that like no one flagged up or maybe if people did uh, maybe people did of course but the fact that no one like stood up and said in this current moment this is not a good message this does not look good we've got to change it and like there's no if there's no room for anyone to say that in the company they're going to keep making these mistakes yeah again though it's an issue of like where that book stops because i can fully imagine that maybe loads of people said that Yes. Um, because yeah. these are the exact kind of creative decisions where you can be told, nope, sorry, we're on a deadline. It stays in. Um, mm. Sorry, I've just, I've, this is a serious point, and I've just looked down to see a frozen blueberry in the <laughs> power brick that my PC depends on. So I need to remove this blueberry <laughs> <laughs> before, before it, it thaws further and potentially uh, shorts out my, uh, my, my power block. Just a second. I've put it in the bin. I've put it in the bin now. Oh, phew. Um, the situation resolved. You were saying something about the bucks, buck stopping. And... Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, so to to return to the point, post Blueberry, um, one of the ways to protect a company against these kinds of decisions getting made, because I guarantee you, I I work in this business now, and there is always a final call that has to be made. Um, I have been that person. I've reported to that person. The a, a decision that's seriously wrong will have a person who is ultimately responsible for making that decision. And if that was a bad decision, which in this case it clearly was, then the decision-making uh, ability of that person needs to be called into question. And that's... So there is... It just seems like a really cut and dry case of being able to say, you know... When they say we'll we'll put measures in place to make sure this never happens again, that usually means taking away the power for the whoever made the decision to make that kind of decision. Basically, like there's no other, and and I don't think there's any reason 
And maybe there is a reason to keep that private because necessarily people will pile on. But at the same time, being so coy about what that changes does make it, as you say, sound kind of empty. Yeah, it's just you a, know. it's a matter of accountability, isn't it? Like it's the yeah. same, like going right to the top. And the people who have resigned for whatever they've done, they've actually they've taken the bullet and they've actually resigned and said, oh, we need to be out of this company. And who knows what pressures were behind their decisions, but um, ultimately they that shows accountability. And I don't think mm-hmm. that Ubisoft's quite there yet. Yeah, it, there's a... I think you're right. Like with the wording of that statement, it always feels like there's a closing ranks as well as like in the middle of that gesture of like a sensibly openness and accounting for the things that have happened. There's also a sense that a defensive kind of posture is being adopted and mm-hmm. people are being protected. And that's, ah, it's rough. It's, it's really rough. And I, I honestly don't know how they fully get through this. And I think you're right, Tom, to go right back to the start of this conversation, the, like very visible high level changes are probably one of the few ways to communicate that serious change is taking place. Mm. Um, even if God knows what the truth of it all is behind the scenes in terms of who is taking serious responsibility and who isn't. Yeah. But I don't know, you know, winning that faith back. I don't know. Like I certainly don't feel super comfortable promoting their stuff, even though, as I keep saying, I don't want to disenfranchise the people who've worked hard and not done anything wrong. Like, Absolutely. And also, I mean, the way I think this stuff I wish would come back on companies is when they try to hire people and new, like fresh talent going into that culture when it's been so visibly reported how poisonous it can be in some corners. I think like that should deter people. And that's like, that should be a, that's a good punishment for having a crap culture. Like that should be the, the, the kind of payout really. Um, yeah, it, it should be, but, but unfortunately, often, like, it isn't, yeah, yeah, because obviously, well, that's a whole, that's a much bigger subject. But sure. yeah, it's yeah. you know, like these are also aspirational jobs for a lot of people, and does that has a whole side of things, and kind of the CV power of it as well. Like, yeah, yeah, the if you are in certain parts of the world, jobs like this are hard to come by and hard to leave. Yeah. Once you're in them, like it's. Yeah, I mean, at that point, we're into the kind of labor dynamics of games industry and tech generally. Yeah, sure. That's, that's a whole, much whole bigger wealth. series of that's a much bigger series of apologies <laughs> <laughs> on a, on a sort of cultural level. So yeah, yeah. Sorry to um, uh, derail. No, no. Uh, sorry to derail you, Graham, as well for uh, obviously just explaining what happened in the conference. <laughs> no, no, no. Like I'm, I'm glad to talk about this stuff. I sort of breezed through it at this at the start. Um, no, but I would rather have a, a longer, more in-depth conversation about it, and I'm glad that we are. No. Oh. Should we talk about something else, though? <laughs> yes. <laughs> be fun. Well, how about a little bit more news quickly before we bounce off sure. into the games we've been playing? Um, because obviously, I plugged it last week, but I'd be remiss not to plug it again. Um, uh, the game that Pip has made with Helen Hazelden is out today, uh, as of the time we're recording this. Uh, a Monsters Expedition Through puzzling exhibitions which is hard to say um came out on on steam and it's on apple arcade as well so if you're an apple arcade subscriber you can download it right now um but it's also it's it's out it's a soaker bond type game about rolling trees around to um bridge the gaps between islands and pip's done a ton of writing for it uh lots of jokes and it's got uh definite pip energy and it seems to be reviewing really well, which is really nice for them. Like, I appreciate that I'm mega biased for obvious reasons, but 
Uh, Eurogamer gave it their little essential gold badge today, which is great. Um, so yeah, congratulations to them and check it out. We'll put the link in the show notes. Obviously, no pressure. Just thought I'd do a shameless plug. Yeah, so I, saw, it I saw some really like amazingly positive uh, reactions on Twitter for it, and I just felt so good for Pip. Like I know she, she obviously worked really hard on it, um, and yeah, I just it made me really happy. <laughs> basically, yeah, it's a, yeah. yeah. nerve wracking thing. Um, yeah, of course. To to launch something like this, but yeah, so that's I think this is Pip's second game release now after Dicey Dungeons, which he also worked on. On a roll. So she's getting a good track record there, to be honest. Two good games to have on your CV. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I'm deeply jealous because game I'm making taking long time. <laughs> taking long time. <laughs> uh, shall we talk about what we've been playing? Yes. Okay. Thank you. For the... <laughs> cool. Um, Graham, what have you been up to in the game? Game uh, Games. How are they? <laughs> the games, the games, they're pretty good. They're pretty good. Uh, I've been playing uh, a preview build of Mafia Definitive Edition, um, which you know we just we just kind of touched on Prince of Persia, and it's a it's a it's a remake um, with fancified graphics. Mafia Definitive Edition is the same thing, but for the game Mafia. <laughs> I don't know why I'm describing it like this. So back up, get game. You have to explain to me what's a game. <laughs> I just don't, don't know why I decided to like retroactively try and work in a segue that we didn't need. <laughs> um, but never mind. I appreciate it. We're just, we're just gonna keep going forward. Um, but no, like I, I loved. Did you either? Either of you play Mafia? It came out in like two thousand two yep. yeah, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah, I loved it. I loved it as well. Like for years, like I remember when I first joined PC Gamer, which was in two thousand and five. We would do like top 100s and stuff like that and have our personal top 10s. Mafia was always on mine. In fact, I think for a while it was like my second or third favorite game of all time on a bunch of those lists. Um, and that was true despite being frequently frustrated by that game when I played it. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's a game with, I think, a good story and good writing and a really cinematic presentation and a really beautiful open world. And it was doing a lot of those things at a time when those things were uncommon. Um, and op- open world cities back in 2002, as like that were in 3D, to my mind, there had only been one at that point, which was Grand Theft Auto 3, which came out about a year beforehand ahead of Mafia. And then even then, like GTA 3 wasn't what gta is now like gta mm. 3 had a silent protagonist it had incredibly basic yeah. cutscenes in terms of like camera positioning and direction and that sort of stuff but none of its characters had faces whose mouths moved or anything like that whereas mafia was graphically much richer cinematically much richer um in a way that now i would probably find quite frustrating um because i want my games to be games and not cinema but back then i was just wowed particularly as a, a teenager with limited experience of all the many movies that it was ripping off <laughs> like <laughs> godfather and goodfellas and and these sorts of things i just really loved it um but it is a game that has aged badly um because I went back and tried to play it when the definitive edition, definitive edition was announced, and 
you see pretty quickly that, hey, this was a game that had to fit on a single CD-ROM <laughs> once upon a time <laughs> and run on computers that probably had 16 or 32 megabytes of RAM in that, you know, like, the opening mission. Um, you're, the story of the game is you're Tommy Angelo, you're a taxi driver, and you're working one night when you hear a loud bang around the corner of a car crash and two guys come around and, at gunpoint, make you drive them on a getaway chase across the city. One of the two guys has been shot and is bleeding out. And as you're doing this, I remember it being, you know, really dramatic and really exciting yeah. opening to the game. Um, but in playing it now, it's just like the guy in the back seat repeating his one line of dialogue over and over and over and over again as you drive around the city. He just he just goes, oh, I'm dying back here. Oh, I'm dying back here. And, you know, she's crewing around basically empty streets, banging it. Oh, I'm dying back here. Get a move on. I'm going to shoot you. Oh, I'm dying back here. And I was like, oh, man, this is un- like almost instantly unplayable to me <laughs> in 2020. And so like a definitive edition that fancifies all that stuff and modernizes it, that's great. And on those grounds, from what I've played, I've played like six missions um, in the preview build, and I think they've done a good job of modernizing it um, within the limitations, uh, which I'm going to get to. But like, it is Mafia again, as you remember it, probably more as you remember it than the original game is, in that it now does look pretty like a modern game. Um, faces are great, voice acting's all being re-recorded, far more lines of dialogue, lots of like nice quality of life features, that sort of stuff. And you know, if you want to go back to Mafia and replay that game, this is definitely the way you're going to do that now. And like. It's pretty much, from what I've played, a beat-for-beat retelling of the original game with some tweaks to certain characters and little personality changes here and there, some for the better, I think. Um, Pretty much pretty close. Problem is that I think by hewing so closely to the original, there are just design (laughs) principles that I think... How continue to be old-fashioned, essentially, they, that that have aged, but that they obviously felt like they couldn't modernize because it would mean changing the fundamental game too much, and it would no longer feel like a definitive edition of Mafia. It would start mm. to feel like a, a reboot more than a remake or a remaster. Um, the the example is the infamous race mission. I was going to ask oh, about yes. this. Yeah, which they included in the preview build. Um, Before you go on, Graham, I was going to make a joke that they would have left, they would have modernized everything else and left the race exactly as it was. (laughs) Is that is that true? No, the race has been modernized as well. Um, But like to, to to give context, the race in the original game was incredibly difficult. Uh, upon the game's original release. Like, I remember it took me 50 goals or something like that to beat this race where you're given a sports car, dropped onto a track, and you have to come first out of, like, 20 cars or something like that, and any mistake can instantly send you back to the beginning, and it was just far too difficult. They released a patch um, to make it easier, this being 
2002 and certainly in the UK internet speeds not being great that was uh, a patch that I think I remember getting from like a PC gamer cover disc or something like that and installing it didn't make the race that much easier <laughs> it certainly did make it easier but not <clears throat> so easy yeah. that you could do it the first time around I would say this time they have made it much easier still I did it on my second go um, which is you know can't, can't yeah. complain too much about that Took me too my respect. <laughs> <laughs> they, they could have just deleted it, though. Yeah. Yeah, but that's, that's the it's thing. It's just a bad mission. It's just a bad mission. That's the thing. Because I can understand, like, there is something exciting about it. Because the, the, the mission is that um, this, this race is going to happen. Your boss and a bunch of people in the neighborhood have, have bet money on this particular guy to win, but the rival mob in town have brought in a, a famous race car driver, essentially, so that he will win, your guy will lose, everyone will lose their money. You have to go steal his car in the middle of the night and sabotage it. So like the first part of the mission is you going to the racetrack, getting his car, and then speeding across town as fast as you can to get his car damaged, and then speeding back again in his damaged car where the handling's now a bit wonky, and returning it. That's like a pretty cool idea, in a game where all the cars are period appropriate shit (laughs) (laughs) where like you know the cars go pretty slowly um and if you there's two there's different settings for this so you can turn it off but if you're playing on the setting where the police get mad at you for speeding or running red lights you're going even slower, you're stopping at junctions, all this sort of stuff. And so suddenly being freed from that and being given a, a car, which is incredibly quick, that feels amazing, that's great. But then the second half of 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 the race is, oh, the driver that was going to drive your car has been beaten up, basically, by the rival gang. And so you now you're going to drive it. And that's, yeah, that's just a bad mission because you've not... Uh, any point in this game been given enough time to get comfortable with the physics of the race car you've never seen this track before so you don't know the corners or any of the bends and like the first time i did the race they've obviously made the the other drivers bad so they're pretty slow and rubbish but i crashed three corners from the end after having been first for the entire race and that single crash meant that i dropped to last place three corners from the end that's not a fun experience (laughs) Uh, that's not fun at all That, that meant i had to repeat it again and so it's still just this incredibly stressful experience that's no fun at all uh, because I don't think you can drop a race car mission in the middle of a, a game that's not about racing cars. I think you can, and I've just figured out how. So what they should have done in fixing it, they don't need to make it easier. What they need to do is just make it not a blocker to progression. So if you win, right. fine, the game continues as normal. If you lose, it adds 10 seconds to the beginning of the next cutscene where someone goes, guess it was a really bad idea to get Ty to do that. And then the game continues as it otherwise would. That would be <laughs> no one improvement. Can be... Yeah, no one's surprised by this result. And then it just continues. That, like... Uh, oh no! Like, and then we just move on with it. That would be fine. And then some completionist player, will be like, I've got to win. I've got to see the good version of the cutscene. But everyone else can just move on with the game. That's how you solve that. Yeah, that is oh. how you solve that. I mean, also, but, uh, sorry. also the, uh, the um, 
the driving model in the very original version of the game was nuts compared to all of the driving models at the time, if I remember. Because they actually tried to make the old-timey cars drive like old-timey cars. Um, And Mm. that was like, I think that threw a lot of players for a loop because you're used to sort of power steering and a lot of assists and other stuff happening, especially in 2020. And that was, no, that was present, uh, present in the original version of the game. And again, as you said, like if you just bumped into a lamppost, that was the end of your race, <laughs> uh, which is, yeah. Hmm, I great. remember my dad, my dad was, hasn't played very many games, but he was really, really into Grand Prix legends at the same time that I was playing mafia. I think, I think those timelines like match up. Hmm. It was the only thing he would play. And I had to get him to help with the race. And I was like, Dad, I need your like race car energy <laughs> <laughs> to 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 do this. And, and I think he did do it for me in the end. I think that's how I got through that when I was a teenager. <laughs> Literally got my dad to do it, which is not something I've ever had to do otherwise. <laughs> <laughs> no, I certainly remember plenty of games that I had to get my brother in order to help me advance i think i I think those entire games where i have memory of having played it but i probably didn't actually touch the controller very much i was just watching (laughs) someone else play it and projecting myself onto that experience so you enjoyed let's plays is the (laughs) yeah is the yeah that's what siblings are yeah Um, but i think i think this race is indicative of a problem the whole game has because it is still rooted in design principles of 2002 in terms of its other quest structures. And it also just does have this thing of, because it's a game from 2002 fundamentally, it's not doing anything that you haven't seen before a lot at this point. Like everything that was incredibly novel and exciting about that game in 2002 is not novel and exciting now. And like even graphically, doesn't feel like it can't compete obviously with rockstar's latest grand theft auto 5 and red dead redemption mm. 2 are so absurdly lavish and expensive whereas this feels like you know a saints row game essentially in terms of its budget like the mm. the, the environments are noticeably more sparse npc anim- animations are noticeably more limited that sort of stuff and so on every other level it's just sort of like a pretty good third-person action-adventure game, kind of mid-tier budget stuff, but then limited by these design tropes. Um, and the result is that although I love Mafia, and although I think this is a good remake of Mafia, I'm still, my opinion right now is, I don't actually want to play this game. Hmm, that's a shame. Do you Would you have wanted to play a new game with the same story? I guess that's the flip of the question. I I mean it's partly no not from the same not with the same story like it's partly it's a genre I'm pretty tired of at this point right. like you know there are so many open world action adventure games and we've just spent a long a long time talking about Ubisoft who make a lot of those kinds of games um, and I did play Mafia three a bunch and enjoyed it but the reason I enjoyed it was it was a new story and a new setting that I hadn't seen in a game before it's you know it's takes place in the mm. 70s in in fake new orleans um and you know that made it interesting you know whereas another gangster set 30s prohibition america chicago experience is not something i'm going to be excited about mm. 
how about you guys like do you like you both said you played mafia as teenagers which do you are you know are you still excited about definitive edition or were you before i just said all the things i just said <laughs> to be honest i just want to walk around in a fedora and a trench coat in the rain and that's what <laughs> the mafia games kind of are to me it's more of like an atmosphere thing rather than an actual you know they're like incredibly story-driven games that's kind of what i want um that's what i thought i was actually going to get from Watch Dogs one and was kind of disappointed to find it was a, di- a different game entirely um so yeah i'm, I'm just i I won't play it. <laughs> Full stop. Like, I mean, I've I've had that experience. I loved the first game, but it was of its time. Mm. Yeah, I think I was just trying to figure out like why I don't um, play that kind of game much anymore, other than the time investment, which is the kind of I think at this point the, the boring old answer. I think those particular fantasies don't quite resonate with me in the same way. And I think you maybe touched on it earlier, Graham, when you pointed out that when we first experienced these games, we most of us, well, us particularly, were probably all of an age where we hadn't seen the movies yet. Mm. And actually, I would probably credit those games with providing like an early, um, an early, you know, uh, cinematic like set of touchstones for me that I would then subsequently go on to actually figure out what they were. Like, you know, to go on to actually see those films and understand what those things meant and see them in their full form. And I think... Because I, I, you know, I, 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 maybe that's it. Like I don't depend on games for access to that kind of storytelling anymore. Um, and so it's less interesting to me, you know. And I think we, you can say, and I think you're right, that Rockstar's output is is so vastly, such a vastly bigger investment. However, the fact that they they themselves have not really escaped the gravitational pull of all those cinematic influences is still a huge weakness to me. Because if yeah. I want to go and see an intelligent western, I can I can do that. Or if I want to see a modern crime fable, I've got a million ways of doing that, which are likely to be a little bit more artful and sophisticated than a GTA game. And yeah, like I may, maybe it's just me aging out of it, but I yeah, I think. I kind of I don't I want games to be games to some extent, but I also want I, and I don't mind a game story, but I want a game story to be a game story. Really, um, I'm happy for them to be big, lavish, cinematic things, but I don't feel personally that like that particular kind of game um, really often embraces what is interesting about it being a game, which is interesting because. At the time, I very much did feel that way about Mafia because of the fact that it had greater verisimilitude than GTA 3. Like, for me, it was the game where you could shoot the tires out in a car. Yeah. And that was, like, a level of realism that was above and beyond what I'd seen in, in other games. And so that was, like, a you know, a reason to feel invested and immersed in that world. Now that that is a given, it's other very video gamey stipulations like win this race to progress the story or or the idea that the only way to sabotage someone's car is to do cool donuts in it um <laughs> all of that stuff now now actually plays against it so it's 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 i guess a march of technology thing i think there's um there's a phenomena that i think about a lot in relation to game production actually i think about this more with my work hat on now but it's it, it worth thinking about um Games are weird as media because different, not only because they're such composite things and talking specifically about big, you know, triple A type games like Mafia, but different elements of them um, mature in different ways. It's, it's, it's definitely possible for like an older sci-fi film for the story to stay good, but the effects to age, for example, so it does exist in other media, but that's really pronounced in games. And often I would argue, um, 
it's it, it's well actually no I'd, I'd argue against the thing i was about to say and didn't say which is good because i don't mean it what i mean is it's actually kind of hard to predict what will and won't age well about the game there are games from the similar era where the mechanics are the things that have aged well but the visuals are really dated there are other areas where maybe some stylistic decision made and the visuals has aged well but the story hasn't or the story is the thing that stands the test of time that people are nostalgic for but nothing else about the technology survives and that is one thing that's really really weird about games i think is a medium and one of the weird things about remakes because you probably if you're remaking a game have to make some pretty subjective decisions about which things people are actually nostalgia for and there's probably in the case of a video game which is such a composite thing no correct answer to that does that make sense yes yeah that makes sense to me like i think you mean you get you get the thing in all mediums where certain tropes come in and out of fashion as people become exhausted of them and i feel like that happens probably less with design where there there is some design certainly that falls out of fashion and comes back around and you 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 see that um with you know like the recent resurgence of retro mid 90s first person shooters um mm. where everyone's making things that feel like doom and quake uh, and people haven't people really loved those games and they haven't had those games for a long stretch of time and now they're coming back and people are excited about them because they haven't had them for a long time but there is also just design which goes out of fashion because it's bad <laughs> and it's not yeah. going to ever come back in a way that I don't know that it's necessarily true with the parts of these composite experiences which aren't interactive like I feel like this is true in film as well, as well, where there are writing tropes that right now are considered bad writing, but in 20, 30 years, they might not be considered bad writing anymore. Whereas mm. I feel like bad design, once we sort of see it as bad design, it's less likely to come back around. I don't know. Maybe that's... I hope so. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's interesting because it feels like it's interesting with games because it's such a young medium to identify what does and doesn't come around. Like, the Doom thing is a really good example of this, where there was like an archetype for shooters. But like, when when nineties uh, shooters were coming into being, they weren't all motivated by the same motivations that drive people going back to those things. No, not everyone was thinking, "I want to make an arcadey um, shooter that's all about speed and and you know player skill and violence." A lot of people working on those games also wanted to reach for those like immersive um cinematic experiences that other that would later kind of branch to a completely different kind of first person game and but now people can look back and identify that like well the immersive aims of those of that time was largely kind of been superseded but the arcade game they made along the way is worth reclaiming even though that's maybe not what the intent of those original creators was and so that's it's it's a it's a weird Games are weird, basically, is what I'm saying. And, <laughs> and and the way that then lends itself to fashion or not is also weird. And I think in the middle, you have... And the, the perfect example of this is some of like the biggest obvious follies, like Duke Nukem Forever, which is a game that we talked about a lot until we never talked about it again. <laughs> and But the reason for that is because it was trying to solve a problem that didn't exist. You know, it identified that what people wanted from Duke Nukem was a more immersive Duke Nukem. And I think, I don't think the clock will ever rotate back around to give Duke Nukem another time, real time in the sun, like, like no, it's Doom fucked. has had. <laughs> definitely fucked. He's fucked. He's definitely fucked. But like, or actually Doom 3 would be another example of this. Doom 3 is not a bad game. But it's just a different game, it, right? It's yeah, it's a different genre. game. And it's like, it, 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 it um, very much fades into the background among its peers of the time. 
because it was of its time. And in order to make Doom a kind of like culturally, you know, more broadly beloved thing again, someone had to basically reinvent an idealized version of Doom based on what either A, the community had turned into over the years, and B, what people thought of when they remembered it rather than um, necessarily the the specific truth of any of it. It's, um, yeah, and nostalgia is an interesting thing when it comes to this stuff. I find, I mean, I just go too much of a tangent, but Doom 3 is such an interesting game to me because it's such a strange mixture of doom and survival horror. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, mm. like you could almost draw a line from Doom 3 to stuff like Amnesia and even like the first person Resident Evils, yeah, and Alien and Isolation, like that. yeah, uh, yeah, 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 right. Like someone, <laughs> someone figured, but also, I mean, and but what's interesting about it, I guess, one of the other things that's interesting that it is like the original Dooms. It's kind of a tech demo, and you know, the original Dooms were tech, you know, about advancing technology in a in a big way and demonstrating what could be done at the cutting edge of of those engines. So it was Doom 3. Doom 3 was like, look, we can do in-game mouse cursors on in-game computers. Like, <laughs> we've made the best, you know, we've made the best engine possible for making System Shock. And so we've kind of made System Shock, kind of, mm-hmm. um, even though people are expecting Doom. And <clears throat> that's just a, you know, it's weird that that's sort of spiritually similar to the originals, but takes the whole game in a completely different direction. Whereas New Doom is very much like, you know, we've identified that what is important about this from a technical point of view is frame rate and performance and um, speed and simplicity, which are definitely not goals that Doom 3 had, even though it's not necessarily wildly divergent from the original either. It's kind of interesting. Doom 3 was so much trying to chase after what it saw as first-person shooter trends from the time, particularly mm, yeah. like off towards the Half-Life model of doing things and being more story-driven. <clears throat> that was particularly noticeable when they did the Doom 3 expansion, which came out after Half-Life 2, and so they added like a really crap gravity gun to doom three uh it was it was some some bad bad design decisions and that thing um but speaking of the weird overlaps between cinema and games and strange mishmash design (laughs) (laughs) this is going damn son what have you been playing chris and and or tom (laughs) Okay, so that's a hell of a segue, and I'm going to ride it all the way off this helicarrier, um, <laughs> plummet into the clouds. Um, so I've played a whole bunch of the new Avengers game, uh, which came out last week, and I would like to issue the following defense of the Avengers game. <laughs> um, so here's the thing. I am going to caveat this in two ways. One, this is a 7 out of 10 game right now. I think it definitely is a 7 out of 10 game. However, as Tom will definitely attest, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, there are three things wrong with that. Out of 10. <laughs> that's, that's what that means. Um, and um, the other side of it is I um, I spent the last week enjoying a, a, a very um, vivid argument with one of my wisdom teeth, which wants me to be in pain for according to the dentist. Basically, no reason other than it's, it's just trying to make itself known and we can all relate to that. Nonetheless, it sucks. 
And so I kind of wanted something that I would just, a comfort game, basically, something to sit on the sofa and, and play. I should also caveat this by saying that I've been playing the PlayStation version of the game because it's very much in that wheelhouse. Um, I don't believe there's very many differences with the PC version, but, you know, it's a, it's, a, it's a pad type game anyway. So, you know, don't come to me for your frame rate questions or your mouse and keyboard opinions, but nonetheless, it's the same game. And with that in mind, I have found I have found myself really enjoying myself and actually quite hopeful for the future of it. What it is, is a, um, a kind of games as service uh, Avengers uh, brawler, I guess. I've heard it described as kind of destiny, but with, you know, uh, uh, superhero brawling instead of shooting. I would say the more accurate comparison just on that level is actually Warframe. I appreciate Warframe and Destiny are kind of um, uh, sort of a similar, but the key, crucial difference is that, you know, uh, Warframe is very much about a game about launching missions from a hub, gathering lots of resources on those missions in order to collect and level up a roster of, in that game, like, crazy HR Geiger, sexy battle suits. And in this game, it's a roster of Marvel superheroes, initially quite a small roster, but one they're obviously going to expand. Um, but with that in mind, and this is a really important point about this game, the other game that it's really like is Marvel Ultimate Alliance, which yeah, makes sense sure. because it's a Marvel game. And that was the previously most popular way of engaging these characters in a video game. And that, I think, that comparison, I think, has gotten a little bit lost in the current sort of um, criticism of games as service models. Like, I think it's worth it's worth critiquing the way that it's implemented into the game. We can get to that. Uh, and it's worth asking some questions about why it's necessary for games to have these components on them. But actually, uh, the Ultimate Alliance series, which is like the X-Men games as well, were basically Marvel Diablo. They were they were kind of like beat like top down isometric beat 'em ups where you'd collect a massive roster of Marvel heroes and tear through levels, beating up hordes of robots and mooks and stuff like that. Um, and they were very successful and popular, and they predate the games as service era quite substantially. And they were successful and popular because collecting stuff is fun, and because um, these this this setting, particularly the Marvel universe, lends itself really well to collecting a big roster of kind of colorful heroes that all play differently. And I think I think that's expressed slightly differently in the new Avengers game, particularly because the roster is a lot smaller to start with. But that's the game they're making. Really, it's a three D third person um, multiplayer successor to those games that swaps out some of the kind of, um, you know, single player build up your own collection stuff for kind of MMO-ish crafting and, and gear progression and things. And at its basic level, it's pretty successful at that. Like there's, I'll talk about the single player and the way it's structured in a minute, but there's definitely a point where it introduces you to the first time to the way its missions are actually going to be. Hmm. Um, in terms of these big maps with lots of sub-objectives, um, whether they're big open worlds that you can run and fly and climb across, or whether they're like these bottomless aim tech facilities, um, big kind of sci-fi rooms full of stuff that smashes and things you can lob and smash into and robots to smash. And when you get into that mode, you can kind of see the, the structure and the bones of the thing, which are about tearing the, through these environments with a roster of heroes. They've done, I think, quite a good job of building a combat sandbox and some systems built into that that can support 
some pretty wildly divergent playstyles, and that's not nothing. I remember there was a there was another Marvel MMO that was a bit like this a couple of years ago. Was it Marvel Heroes? Tom, can you remember what that was called? I reviewed it. I can't hmm. remember what his name was. Good question. It was. I, it I know was, what you mean. Again, it was like the isometric one. Um, that again was a, a bit of a successor to the Ultimate Alliance games, and that one struggled. I remember. I remember. I remember reviewing it and writing something like, "No one really." like ever wants to look down on spider-man because the fans <laughs> because or like you know i think it was like there's no there's no satisfaction in horizontal spider-man basically and the um um and the point with that is that, that those perspectives necessarily limited made the characters that were defined by their vertical vertical power set like spider-man or iron man or thor feel very limited because um you in an isometric game the vertical dimension isn't very apparent. Um, and this feels like the first time that same set of design ideas is present, but someone's made a really concerted effort to incorporate those characters as well fully. So you can be Iron Man and fly around like a jet, tar lock like target locking turrets and stuff with your rockets and then let go of the button to fire homing missiles, loads of different things. And it seemed, it's cool. And the same time you could be playing as the Hulk and running around on the ground, smashing things and see your mate fly past as Iron Man doing those things. It's not perfect. Like the flight ceiling is quite low. They've, there's obviously a billion compromises involved in getting that to work. But that side of it, I think is quite well implemented and fun. And the animation's great. Like the way it looks is great. Um, some performance issues, but when it flows, it flows really nicely. I would describe the combat system as somewhere between a kind of combo brawler and Batman Arkham Asylum in terms of its kind of, but it's not quite as Simon Says-y as that. It's a little bit more freeform and you can do sort of aerial juggles and things with characters. And there's some, I think, real satisfaction in like chaining your abilities together in a clever way. And they've done some cool ability designs, like um, characters have alts and um, Iron Man's alt is initially to build himself into the Hulkbuster armor, which is the massive armor that makes him much more powerful. But you can also deploy it differently so that you can create the armor, but let one any of the other heroes get into it as a way of like saving people and bailing them out of, of tough situations. Um, that's cool. And um, and yeah, so and like I think understood as a more ambitious, technically ambitious sequel to Marvel Ultimate Alliance, I think it's a pretty good start. The other thing about it that's kind of interesting is the, well, two sides to this I want to pick. One is that, so it has a single player mode and I can understand people who, I think it's like most games like this, it's not the game you necessarily buy just for its single player, but it's quite substantial. Like, I don't know how you felt about it, Tom, but like, I was pretty kind of impressed by how much effort they put into that campaign which is really just a preamble for you know free roaming multiplayer or co-op but yeah uh, i actually really really like it i think there's there's genuinely excellent performance capture and writing in that campaign yeah and even though it lasts perhaps 10 hours or something um i think i'm about 70 percent of the way through it but um that's been the highlight so far for me like uh being in introduced to kamala khan who is a character i've not read in the comics and have yeah. no idea about she's so just infectiously enthusiastic that like you feel like a a, a fan going into this world with her and meeting all these heroes and i think it's just wonderfully realized actually 
Yeah. Like, so, and so, yeah, so to kind of clarify, like, the the game, in the course of single player, you do play as the different Avengers, particularly as you kind of reunite them. But it's a story about something bad having happened and the Avengers having to be reassembled. Um, but the person they've put at the center of that is Kamala Khan, which is the reboot of, well, not reboot, kind of successor to Ms. Marvel that was written by G. Willow Wilson about six years ago. And she's not been in a video game before. She's not been in a movie. Um but she's a great character. She's um, a like uh, a Muslim American teenager um, who, um, as you say, like loves the Avengers. The opening of the game is is her as a ten year old, I think, going to like an Avengers at an Avengers fair to enter a fan fiction competition with her dad. And on one hand, it'd be possible to be quite cynical about that and sort of talk about how like you know, it's initially a game about how much you love the Avengers, <laughs> the mm. multimedia property, the Avengers. Um, but actually, um, it works really well, I think, because it's so positive. Yeah. You know, you touched on that, but like, she's so enthusiastic about it and um, people are broadly kind to each other and it's kind of a story. It's, it's you know, it hits its moral beats, but it's kind of a story about, you know, sort of, believing in each other and coming together to you know be friends and biff robots and honestly from a big triple a thing i was so happy to play a big triple a action game that wasn't absolutely embroiled in its own cynicism or just utterly itself. miserable like yeah i, I think I, I came off this playing like the last of us part two and mm. it's such a relief to have something that in 2020 that's just unbridled joy in many ways <laughs> smash yeah. robots make friends uh simple stuff but it's it's wonderful i think it's really well executed yeah they they definitely like they have some you know they they attempt some some darker moments and there's some as you say some really good performances particularly i think sad bruce banner yeah um, it's really good like like sad bruce banner uh is sad is you know they they definitely have some some drama there but it's it's not weighed down by it and its conclusions unlike other games and like and it's not just the last of us like this is a you know yeah so many triple a action games are kind of embroiled in this where it's like this story is going to be about how you really shouldn't be playing this game like it's not it really is about how being why being a superhero is cool and good actually yeah it's really cool like particularly because i mean the story does this like like every post kind of watchmen thing it's like oh there's a big thing has happened everyone thinks superheroes are bad now um which is like I like how thin that proposition is. It's like no, they're they're, yeah. they're great. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's the kind of um, what was it the nineties sort of dark age where all the heroes turned yeah turned evil uh, or at least became anti heroes, and now we've kind of come full circle. So uh, there's a bit in the very first level where Kamala's walking around this sort of superhero theme park, and Thor just lands and walks into the shop, um, and he's hilarious. He's just a very funny character. Uh, like. He says something and she laughs and says, oh, you're really funny. And he goes, yes, I am. <laughs> uh, <laughs> because his ego knows no bounds. And that's a, yeah. what a great character. What a great character. And just to go meet him for 30 seconds, then she goes somewhere else and Captain America's there. It's just, I mean, I'm not like super big fan of the comics, but I really felt the, the joy of of that, the, that universe. The way, yeah. The, the way that you're talking about this, it just sounds to me like the Muppets. <laughs> like... <laughs> Like, this is the ideal format for a Muppets game. You're completely right. Yeah, that's very true. Like, um, 
the Jason Segel Muppets movie from about 10 years mm. ago now it specifically has that thing of the main characters are just massive fans of the Muppets. The Muppets have broken up, have been gone for 20 years. No one, Everyone thinks they're old-fashioned and doesn't like them. And then the film is about these two people who love the Muppets, putting the Muppets back together and everyone realizing that the Muppets are great and the Muppets support each other and are all friends. And there's, you know, there's the one who is Fuzzy Bear who <laughs> thinks he's really funny. <laughs> Yeah. Muppets yeah, assemble. That, that, that is, yeah, Muppets. Yeah, that is basically the plot of this game. Yeah, it is really. Um, like, what I, the other thing I think is really interesting about it, just as a kind of cultural thing, is that, and, and an area where I think it is struggling to find its feet, is identifying itself as an as an Avengers adaptation, mm. uh, separate from the movies, and like this is a completely unenviable job. Yeah, because impossible. Like these are like one of the, this is the biggest cultural like cinematic you know property on the planet for an entire generation of kids particularly the um yeah because it's a game of service thing it's like a news page and on the the, i don't know if this will stay the same but on week one you know launch day news for the game was a message from the developers it's like thank you so much um welcome to our version of the avengers we hope you like it (laughs) and it was very much this like mark ruffalo's not here everybody uh neither neither robert downey jr like you're not going to see them please accept this new one and um but what's really interesting about it is it's not totally confidently the comics instead for example it's much more like modern marvel comics than it is like the marvel cinematic universe but there are vast chunks of decisions that it's made that are absolutely taken from the cinematic universe instead including that core lineup you know that core lineup of avengers of captain america thor hulk Mm -hmm. iron man and black widow is very much um you know, uh, I think a savvy decision based on, you know, there's been many lineup, Avengers lineups over the years. That's the one they've identified because obviously that's the one that the, the cinema audience is going to respond to. At the same time, they've, um, you know, kind of redesigned all those characters and their histories. I think one decision they've made that doesn't quite work for me is the, the, the Bane Avengers are all, infant like endlessly and forever 35 in a way that they also are in the comics a lot of the time like i think one thing that i didn't realize i liked about the movies until and i like those films but didn't realize i was playing this is there's quite a kind of you know the diversity has been an issue for those movies but there is a diversity of age and kind of um you know uh attitude among the characters like robert diane jr is you know I think by the standards of 2008, pretty old for playing a superhero. Now we don't think of it that way, but at the time casting mm-hmm. a guy kind of deep into his forties at that point, I think as a superhero was unusual. This feels like it comes very much from the school of in it's, it's from a parallel universe where the Marvel movies only starred hot young leading men for everybody, including Iron Man and, and like the Hulk. And that doesn't quite work for me. Something about it just doesn't feel quite right. Particularly because like, um, I think they've cast really, they've cast really notable voice actors like Nolan North as Tony Stark, which is hard not to hear. Um, but they haven't used their real likenesses, so it's got a bad case of sort of generic face on like a lot of the men, particularly. Yeah, I think I was taking the mic on um, one of our chat channels, on the Great Crowbar, when I said that it looks like they've been run through Google Translate too many times, and yeah. just kind of come out. A- bit off i think actually in practice when you actually see them acting in scenes i think the character models 
are decent they're good and they do feel different to the marvel ones but yeah i completely agree that there's a kind of uncanny valley aspect to that yeah yeah and i think i think in some cases it's like they weren't helped by the decisions they've made to be like they feel like they're stuck in this compromise between hewing to the films and not so like captain america's suit is this like tactical well the default one there's many skins like it's like the sort of tactical captain america armor which mm. is a bit like um the captain america the winter soldier um and they've gone for that because it maybe feels a bit more gritty and real but that's a fundamentally silly character they're all fundamentally silly characters and it <laughs> feels like a bit more abstraction there or having a bit more fun with it which is something that the movies learned to do mm. would have been a good lesson to learn and make made it feel less generic so it feels like a kind of tough balance however one thing i would say about this is it all feels very much like like an acclimatization process for both players and the developers. And I wouldn't be surprised, and maybe I'll be wildly wrong about this. Maybe the game will bomb and we won't see this, but I wouldn't be surprised if this is a game that ages well. Like uh, hmm. not to not to predict the hot takes too much, unless you completely disagree with this, Tom, but like I wouldn't be surprised to see the hot take in like six months to a year from now, Avengers is pretty good. Now you should play it. I I, I really do feel that because they, they've left so many hooks in the story for future expansions and story like, like there's loads of potential ultron uh hooks in there for example um based on yeah. the robot characters you meet and yeah they, there's clearly a plan i think there's clearly a plan in this game for how they want to expand it and often like when destiny first came out the first one yeah it, it was seven out of ten and like it took a, it took a while to get into its stride service games always do and i'm quite hopeful for this I, I, my main worry is that um first person shooter like destiny is has so many ways to create new kind of experiences with new guns and that kind of stuff and lots of cosmetic changes mm. and i don't quite see that in this game uh especially because all the gear you're equipping is invisible it's all just kind of like slot in um Power like stat bonuses yeah which um, yeah uh, i think is is a natural result of but it takes huge resources to do that. And I imagine if the game becomes very successful, we'll get there eventually, but it's not there yet. And you do need I that, think, I think. I think that will have to come from characters. I think that's it's I think that's the axis by which it retain it achieves longevity. Mm. Like I don't think so and the good thing is that is a good license to have if that's your For sure, yeah. wheelhouse. Like Warframe has pulled this off, I think, by virtue of just, you know, graft, basically. But I think I don't this big podcast voice on this, but I think they said that all the characters are going to be free for this. Oh, cool. um, and there are there are microtransactions for skins, but that the characters will be free. I think, and the first one of these is they're doing a a Hawkeye expansion in the next couple of months. I think, which right. is it looks like it's both Hawkeyes. It's Kate Bishop and Clint Barton, right? Um, which is cool because the you know Matt Fraction Hawkeye run is great. Yeah, I love um, those comics. Um, and so I can see myself finishing the campaign, playing a bit of it. I'm it's I agree with you that I don't feel like it's current like RPG mechanics are interesting enough because it's basically like big, you know, XP grind skill trees to get all the abilities for a character and then loot that is basically just gear, just stats, and you don't really get too excited about. It. I think that's a weak that's a definite weakness. However, however, I can see myself always having it installed because I will probably boot it up to play with every new character they add. Yeah. Because, you know, if I get, you know, because I don't really need, because maybe this is not going to be the case for everybody, but it's going to be the case for a lot of people that 
you just need to tell me oh spider-man's in it now yep and yep. i will go play it you know like you don't need to tell me anything else you don't need to tell me what he does um you don't need to sell me on a new gun or a new raid or something you can just say you can play black panther now and i'll be like okay cool i will thanks like, yeah i, I think that's really powerful they did a great job of making the heroes actually feel really different to play so i'm yeah the, the current uh, levels i'm in i'm playing as a uh, um black widow uh, almost called a Scarlet Widow there after the end of the play. Uh, um, uh, but uh, she's like so much fun to play as because you've got the guns, but she's also incredibly fast. Um, yeah. But that feels totally different to Thor or Iron Man. And I think they've done mm. a good job of actually differentiating the heroes. Yeah. I think you can definitely tell um, which levels in the campaign. There's a bit of filler in the campaign, which is very much more like the kind of not generated, but generated feeling missions you do after the campaign hmm. but there are a few moments in the campaign where it's like they they planned this arrangement of items and and things and i think sure not no spoilers but like thor's first level after the intro the intro you do play as all of them um is a great moment of like oh this feels completely different to the game i was just playing and it's kind of rad and they hmm. you know this is the they made this guy the god of war character in this and that was yeah, exactly the right great. decision to make and apart from the fact you can also fly <laughs> so yeah like I'm I'm fine. It's a good. I mean, um, I it's a game that I, age thirty three, did just you know eat Cheerios and put my pajamas on and play because I felt sorry for myself because of my sore tooth. And hey, it's twenty twenty. Come on. Yeah, exactly. We're all, we're all <laughs> exactly. This is the year for it. And um, and so yeah, like I I do feel like I've kind of lavished it in love, and I do want to point out like it is janky at times and it is limited in scope particularly in terms of environments and enemies and stuff and that stuff mm. definitely does hold it back i just feel like the the sort of the instinct i think among kind of games discourse bleh to um <laughs> <laughs> is to um dismiss it out of hand as cynical because the game's a service thing and i think it's roots i think that is wrong because a i think it will grow into something better than it is right now and b if you're going to make a game about collecting colorful characters that is not a cynical license to apply that to that's kind of the point mm. <laughs> you know yeah <laughs> like, i think the, the comparison to marvel ultimate alliance is spot on i think so i've been playing that a lot on switch this year yeah and it really is the fun of just like oh be spider-man for this level and then be thought for this level and it's that's a good feeling it's just a good thing yeah it's just a good thing to be Spider-Man sometimes. I know. Particularly vertical Spider-Man. <laughs> the most vertical man. I, I'm not going to lie. Like, this is the most, like, I'm secretly a seven-year-old boy decision I made. I got <laughs> it on... I got it on... I, I said it earlier. I said it I got it on PlayStation because I wanted to sit on the sofa because I felt sorry for myself. That's partly true. But it's because Spider-Man is PlayStation exclusive. That's yeah, why I did Chris, that. Chris, I did the same thing. Yeah. I know, but... <laughs> I did the same I thing. I know, Tom. I know. That's the right decision. I'm probably going to get a PS5 because I'll get to try to transfer my save over and it'll run better because it, it runs mm. like dog shit on PlayStation 4, it kind, of, it kind of does. I've got a Pro, which is nice, and it, it runs yeah. all right on that. Um, but yeah, you're right. <laughs> yeah. I just, I just I, I, I've invested big in a future Spider-Man, and, which is stupid because I could just play Spider-Man on the PlayStation. Which is also very good. Um, I want this Spider-Man. <laughs> It's going to pay off. It's going to pay off eventually. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Good. What else have you been playing, Tom? Because I know you've played a whole bunch of things since you asked in the pod. I have. I think I'll pick one today and uh, save okay. context. Uh, so I'll talk about Mortal Shell, mm. which uh, the game is Dark Souls. 
It's just, <laughs> it, 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 it just is. Uh, but I think it's an interesting lesson in how much can you actually strip out of a game and like make it as sort of naked as possible and have it still be good. And Mortal Shell uh, pushes that to the edge. There's almost no plot. I have no flipping idea what's going on in the game. You start as a kind of pale, dickless skeleton. <laughs> and you, you run around as opposed to all those skeletons that <laughs> I mean that would be much worse in fact yeah. um, you run around <laughs> be much worse. Uh, but the, your main thing is that you can occupy shells and one of my favourite things about the like game like a hermit crab or yeah a bit like that yeah you sort of crawl inside them uh, and then you, you gain their abilities uh, and also you start to learn their backstories which are like a hermit crab like a hermit crab um which are absolutely just like unpassable. <laughs> I, I don't know what the, I don't know what the fuck's going on in this game, but it's quite good because hitting things is good in the Dark Souls mm. world. Uh, so it's it's basically just copied the Dark Souls combat system entirely, uh, but it's got a much more punishing parry system and it has a kind of cool idea where the first time you die, you get knocked out of your shell. So you, as the little hermit crab just gets sort of like punched out of your body. Uh, and then you've got like a little bit of time to get back to it while still under attack by the enemies who just killed you. And that's a really cool idea. Like it's, it works super, super well. Uh, and of course, like it's, it's despairing when you get twatted by a hammer and, and die immediately. Uh, poor dead Dickless Skeleton um, <laughs> lying on the ground, lost all your souls. They're not called souls, but you know what I mean? It's the same thing. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I think it's only like four environments and they're all deliberately incredibly confusing. Be prepared to get lost endlessly in this game because there's, there's no way to tell where you need to go. And the, the environments are just kind of stacked, like several layers high. Uh, they're all labyrinths, basically. Um, and they're all incredibly punishing. But I, I love the purity of it. I, th- I think just the straightforward idea of just like leveling up a shell, getting used to the moveset, finding some cool weapon upgrades and then just fighting loads of like about a hundred guys to get to a boss. I think that like Dark Souls could have just been that. Like yeah. maybe, it, maybe it didn't need the uh, transcendental story <laughs> that, it, kind of, it, <laughs> that it weaves into its environment uh, because Mortal Shell doesn't have that. It's just purely a game. It's just purely a, like a game about hitting things with swords. Uh, and I greatly respect that. <laughs> I really enjoy it. <laughs> Yeah, it's like so. When you say a sh- shell, what constitutes a shell? I was joking about the hermit crab thing. Like, is it like a completely different ability set, or is it like? Uh, so you can being, have the yeah. same. So it's a different. They they're basically classes. There are four of them, right? And they've got different skill trees essentially. Uh, though they can all wield the same set of weapons that you collect right. over the course of the game. Uh, though of course they all wield them with different efficiencies based on the fact that they have different levels of stamina or health. Uh, yeah, there's there's one who. Uh, a cool one that I can't use because I'm rubbish. Uh, who's the fourth one you get? Who like can vanish into smoke when he dodges and deals loads of poison damage. Uh, and that's all. All of his passives are about stacking poison. And like poison in all RPGs is rubbish <laughs> it's, it's <laughs> so slow acting that it's basically poor. you might as well just hit them with the sword again <laughs> rather than wait yeah. for the poison to take effect. This is always happens in RPGs. Um, but that's that should give you a flavor of like how. They differ. There's one who's just like incredible, like loads of health, 
and he's dressed like a king. Uh, he's got like a little, he's got <laughs> As in like, he's dressed well or he's dressed like a king? Uh, like a king. He's got a little crown and <laughs> oh, plate wow. armor and stuff. And uh, his whole thing is that he's a tank, basically. And he, if you're going into an area where there's really high damage enemies, um, you slip into that shell like a hermit crab and uh, go kill them <laughs> with your big health pool. Uh, so, yeah, it's I'm almost at the end. There's some cool boss fights. I think uh, it doesn't have much of a soundtrack at all. But I think that kind of plays into the loneliness <laughs> and kind of horror of, of the world. Though I mm. might be being a bit too generous by saying <laughs> that. Um, but uh, also, I should say, actually, like this game is like twenty five quid. Like it's uh, half price. Huh. It's, it's not like a full price release game. So they 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 understand the scope of the game is a bit smaller than something like Dark Souls. But if you like Dark Souls, do play this. You'll like it. Like if you if you really enjoy the difficulty. Um, if you really enjoy the combat, especially, Mortal Shell is good. Huh, that's I, I was thinking about because actually midway through a replay of Dark Souls because I decided that's what I wanted to do with my late lockdown. I say late, late lockdown. I have no <laughs> ongoing idea. Lockdown. What, what, <laughs> ongoing lockdown. Ongoing lockdown experience. And so, yeah, that might... When you say, like, Dark Souls, is the combat system specifically dark souls one oh, yes. is it bloodborne you know that you know it's, it's you know one. what i'm saying like what, yeah i understand dark what you mean uh, oh, actually it's um it's an interesting twist it's basically dark souls one but you never ever have a shield but uh, this okay. is qu- quite an unfortunate bit of wording here uh, but you can harden um <laughs> uh, and uh what, that means turning into stone which is the way of blocking okay. and that regenerates about every 20 seconds uh and there are some uh, it's pretty fast it's pretty fast Faster than me, uh, and so f- <laughs> sometimes. <laughs> um, uh, so there are some brilliant kind of uh, ability descriptions. So there's one where it's like, oh, if you harden in midair, you'll slam down <laughs> and do a massive area of effect attack. Uh, so yeah, uh-huh. en- enjoy those. Enjoy those. Yeah, they're very good. Um, but it's, it's also just an interesting way to limit your blocking ability in a way that Dark hmm. Souls kind of. I think one of the reasons it could be very passive, which is what Miyazaki has actually said about it, and one of the reasons why yeah. he changed um, the combat system so much for Sekiro and Bloodborne is that uh, just holding up your shield all the time and sort of defending and turtling is not as exciting as getting stuck in. Uh, and Mortal Shell very much realizes that, but it's taken a different approach to it. So the idea that you can only block once every 20 seconds for about three seconds, uh, and you could do it mid combo, and it, it looks really cool. And yeah, I think it's just really smart. Hmm. Oh, cool. Do you know who made it? I uh, will Google it. <laughs> I, it's a, I know. I know it's from a small team. I think there are only like ten people or something like that. Oh, wow. Yeah, it's, it's a real. I think they used the resources really well. Yeah. So, uh, Cold Symmetry is what they called. Published by Playstack, and yeah, you can. It's a good-looking game. You can tell the budget uh, restraints based on the limited number of environments in the game. Uh, but they're still really interesting to look at. And yeah, there's lots of backtracking and stuff, which is obviously extending the length of the game. Uh, but it's good. It's really good. I, re- I really want them to do a sequel because I think they've got really good ideas. Cool. I think I genuinely will play that because, like, <laughs> I'll say this one thing the last couple of years, or last year particularly, has taught me is like, I definitely just enjoy a well project managed game now. It's definitely <laughs> right. not like, an, like a thing I had a feeling for previously. I think it's genuinely one of the reasons that I'm f- maybe fonder towards Avengers than I otherwise would be. If I approached it purely from a kind of like, 
I mean, I, I, which is, this would be a very reasonable approach. I've just spent full whack on a AAA game, and I'm expecting the same level of polish that I would get from a, a Last of Us or a or mm. a you know or something like that. Um, but part of me looks at it and goes like, man, you had a very specific challenge set of IP and project challenges here, and you've done pretty well. It's like this and is like, really well scoped. <laughs> yeah, exactly. This is well scoped, and you got this across the line. And don't know what the circumstances were, but good for you. You know, like and like, and that's not like a, that's not like an abstract thing. That's not like intellectually, I like this, but I'm not enjoying myself. I genuinely have a better time if I feel like something's well scoped, mm. like you know, or like efficient use of the resources available. You know, like we've only got a certain such so many artists and so much time. What can we do? Doing I, that I, well, I, Mwah, I agree with you, but also, <laughs> what have we become? <laughs> I know. <laughs> Look, no, you're in the middle of a training montage. All I do is paint halberdiers. This is what the 30s are like for us. Yeah, this is what's happening. Yeah, exactly. I would partly counter it because I do miss... I miss that kind of, like, stupid ambition of the late 90s, early noughties, particularly in first-person shooters. You know, like, I really like Deus Ex, Human Revolution, and Mm. Mankind Divided as well. But those are games where I play them and think... Oh wow, you, you you really did a good job with your pre-production phase here. Um, <laughs> yeah, like you, they've done, they've they've looked at DSX, they boiled it down to a set set of formula. They've built a vertical slice where every level has to have two vents and are way up into the rafters, and it has to have three hacking challenges and you know this sort of stuff. And then they just they repeat that over the course of the entire game. And, but the thing that was exciting about the original DSX was you didn't know where they had spent their attention during development. There could mm. be there could be a man's face that just looks <laughs> looks like <laughs> six pixels smeared across a three polygons, uh, and there could be a fire extinguisher on the wall that actually they've really thoroughly modelled, and you can pick it up off the wall and you can spray it on things, and then it has different reactions. Basically, like you just didn't know where they were putting their resources, and that's exciting when you can't quite map the possibility space of it um and you lose that as soon as something is actually well project managed (laughs) managed. (laughs) yeah man i mean this is very resonant um like in terms of you know uh how conversations that i have on a regular basis i think there's i think if it's done well you shouldn't notice that you know what I mean? Like the real sign of, of a well project managed game is you're not noticing all of the thin corners that have been cut. But it is a it is an interesting thing that like as the like particularly like the art requirements of a game get higher and higher and higher, it also isn't necessarily possible to experiment like that at the upper end of yes. fidelity as well. So I think it'd be interesting, like I, I can't think of an example of this, but I'd be interested if you two could, of a game that embraces that kind of chaotic creative spirit of something like the original deus ex but does it in the appropriate venue which is that same level of graphical fidelity like is anyone making throwback immersive sims there was um oh it's like a dumb German name, even though oh. it was by a German developer. It was by the guy <laughs> it was by the guy that did Eldritch. Uh, and yes. he, he made two or three other games and he did one which was I think called like Slayer Shock, which was like a a kind of 
Buffy High School because Eldritch is an interesting any... example because Eldritch, which I really liked, was nonetheless an example of I think a pretty well scoped uh, yeah. little game, right? Like it's it's the use of of proc gen dungeons, the roguelike structure, all that stuff was a way of getting uh, plenty of extra mileage out of a um uh, a fundamentally set of like immersive sim systems. Yeah. I might say yeah. quadrilateral cowboy almost. Yeah. I mean, it's almost there. I, don't, I think it's like um, I reviewed it actually. Um, it kind of slumps in the middle and goes a bit wrong. But fundamentally, it's a great immersive sim idea hmm. um, from Blendo. That's true. Yeah, good point. Ah, it was, it was uh, Neon Struct. Um, which, of course. Which, the subtitle of which was Die Augen der Welt. Which was the original mm, the name of the eye game? Of the world. <laughs> he wisely, <laughs> wisely reduced that to the subtitle, and it's you know it's very explicitly uh, an, an immersive sim in which the hacking mini game is Breakout. <laughs> cool. <laughs> That's different to Pipe Dream. Yep. Yeah. Yep. yep. <laughs> it's always the same. Uh, has anyone done a hacking mini game that was Minesweeper? Like, can we can we do the entire like we run should do of, that? Yeah. Or someone like an immersive sim where the hacking game is Solitaire. Just so it's like all of the Windows 95 <laughs> games. Someone call Tom Francis. <laughs> exactly. In his game immediately. Yeah. Uh, good. Uh, so we should make an uh, immersive sim where the hacking game is the Windows 95 maze screensaver. Just... <laughs> I hated that thing. It gave me nightmares. <laughs> I, I miss that. I, that's There's a vibe no one's bringing back. The kind of weird tie-dye hellscape sky, but like a normal brick wall. Mm. Mm-hmm. No one's doing that anymore. That's yeah, that, good, that, that energy is lost, and yeah, for good reason. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, good. Shall we do some questions? Some yes. Questions? Yes. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Mitchell writes. <laughs> if we must. <laughs> yeah, of course. Mitchell writes, Dear Creighton Crowbar, with the release of Control on PC, I went back to Alan Wake, the rediscovered old. And, I'm sorry, I went back to Alan Wake and rediscovered the Old Gods of Asgard, a fictional band in the game played by real life band Poets of the Fall. This got me thinking about how Mongolian heavy metal band The Who played an in-universe band in Jedi Fallen Order, and that Swedish punk band Refused is playing Johnny Silverhand's band Samurai in Cyberpunk 2077. What's the best fictional band played by a real band in a real video game? Thanks for reading. Mitchell. This feels like such a good question, and the only answer I can so far think of is that bloody Quantic Dream game from before Quantic Dream were famous. Oh, Bowie. Um, the yes. Nomad Soul. Yeah, mm. David Bowie. Yeah, David Bowie was in it as. Was he like a virtual reality creation in the plot? He was a sort of version of himself. It was very strange, if I remember rightly. It's... He was like a cyberpunk version of himself, though, wasn't he? Yeah, like, yeah, he was definitely he was a, a different he was character. holographic or something like that. Um, and I think maybe even played different characters throughout it. But certainly, I think one of them was a singer, pop star, future weirdo. Mm. Everyone. A Bowie. Should, uh, <laughs> a yeah, Bowie. Every, everyone should look up um, YouTube videos of his performances and that. Because it's flipping weird, <laughs> so strange. <laughs> uh, and uh, yeah, uh, Graham said exactly what I was going to say. Nomad Soul, 
David Bowie is a, a really good shout. Um, my answer for this is is maybe cheating because it's not music that's performed, but um, I have recently um, gotten back into it at the same time. This is another lockdown experience, um, and this is largely thanks to friend and friend of pod, um, Paul Scott Canavan, gotten back into both jazz and prog metal, which are not unrelated <laughs> things to get into. Just kind of anything mad basically and um i was listening to a lot of the prog metal band sixth um when i do something really uncanny there's a lot of spoken word in those songs and there's something really uncanny about it and then i realized that um mikey goodman from the band sixth was the voiceover director and a lot of the voices in disco elysium and so when i was listening to those yeah when i was listening to those metal tracks and going that growly man sounds like my limbic system. Um, <laughs> it's because he literally was. He, he's, he's a lot of the voices in your head in, in Disco Elysium, including like the lizard brain. Um, he's got an amazing voice. And actually the voice he does for the lizard brain in Disco Elysium is the, the voice he does in a lot of those tracks. Um, so that was, uh, and I think there's, um, I think there's a, another metal singer in, in Disco Elysium as well. It was Rich Pickens for growly strangeness, apparently. Um. Yeah, I want to give a shout out to Mike Patton, who's uh, mm. a great punk singer who did all the zombie voices in Left 4 Dead. And That's true. He has an uh, he has the ability to. I don't know how he does it without breaking his voice, but just to go to extraordinary registers and make disgusting noises with his uh, vocal cords. Uh, what a talented man! And uh, I, I enjoy his work every time I play Left 4 Dead. I think like it's interesting that there aren't more examples of this. I I, I have a huge soft spot, and it's very much rooted in my angsty youth for the bands that kind of guested on game soundtracks before that before it was maybe such a thing to kind of license music on mass for games like you, you know talking about the further legacy of rockstar and open world cinematic games it took a while i think for just mass licensing of of music to um to happen um so things like lacuna coil playing over the closing credits of vampire the masquerade bloodlines mm. um that meant something to gothy teen me or um <laughs> or actually poets of the fall on who uh, whose relationship with remedy i think starts with the max Payne soundtrack um was a was another one uh, i just i think i just miss very very moody slightly self-serious songs over the credits um so uh, i like that back kojima does this a lot so i think mm. uh, is it in death Stranding? is it low raw i'll just Check. yes it yeah. is low raw and churches yeah. as well and churches yeah right um yeah. They're, they're they're the final track in the whole in the whole game yeah so he, he very much just has his tastes and p- puts it straight in the game which i love yeah right and mgs5 as well all the metal gear games do this to some extent yeah although obviously not to be conflated with the best original song for a game which is probably gotta snake be eater. snake eater <laughs> yeah <laughs> everyone knows it i'm caught in a dream um <laughs> Um, yeah, I, I can't climb the really overly long ladders in Warzone without saying, oh, what a thrill. <laughs> it just plays in my head automatically every time there's a ladder. Yeah. <laughs> That's how what a is. legacy. Oh, no, what right. a legacy. <laughs> um, uh, good. <clears throat> Our next question comes from Jezzers, who writes, Dear Crayfish and Crowfish, Thank you very much for putting me on to Half-Life VR, but the AI is self-aware, which is the uh, YouTube Let's Play I think I recommended last week um, about 
a person playing through Half-Life 1 in VR with some very, very, very funny improv taking place around them. Um, uh, Chesis continues, I've been unable to stop saying hello, Gordon, to my <laughs> colleagues for most of this week, much to their clueless annoyance. Sorry, my Kleiner is nowhere near as good as any, uh, the incredible Kleiner impression in that playthrough. Um Watching the playthrough, it got me wondering what other older games have worlds that are perfect for VR role-playing that have yet to be explored. I feel fear would be great for atmosphere, but surely there must be some others. Love the pod, Chezzers. This is a good question. This is a good question. I think it has to be suitably old and a bit Yeah, shonky. it has to be. Like, you couldn't, you know... It'd be interesting also to try and identify the point where something passes into old enough. I'm going to go there. I, mean, I just mentioned it. Max Payne. Good one. Max Payne would be great for this because it's already got a very distinctive style. I think it would require the person playing Max Payne to monologue a lot, mm-hmm. but there's maybe a lot of there's a lot there. That's a that's a good self serious setting for a game. Lots of grotesque people, the ability to say Valkyr a lot, <laughs> um, dead family, and, and, lot, and a lot of screaming over bodies, which I think is an untapped it's comedic good, yeah. kind of, um, and also just a really terrible bit where you have to. The dream bit where you have to walk yeah. the trails and then fall off into it. <laughs> Which in VR would be fucking horrible. Yeah, yeah. for sure. Uh, I'd pick, this is such a random, like, I'd pick Sin. <laughs> do you guys remember Sin? I do remember Sin. I loved Sin. Yeah, Sin hell yeah. Really, look, it had glass that broke and stuff. And it was like <laughs> a big deal at the time. But also the characters and stuff were so ludicrous and the world is so colourful. I think you could actually make a lot of fun out of it in a VR context with some improv actors, uh, just kind of mm. make, making fun of the whole thing. It's a sort of like weird James Bond, but like really vivid. It's, it's a, it feels like a fever dream to me, that game. <laughs> Do you know what I would love? Um, any GTA game, actually, could even be one of the more modern ones, but give uh, have all of the mission givers in those endless cutscenes where your character walks in kind of mutely and some dickhead turns around and is like, hey, buddy, you gotta go shoot my own knees or something um <laughs> like um uh you know uh, like for 10 minutes do that but improvise all of those briefings and give the person doing the mission giver improv only the loosest description of the information they need to get across uh, yeah right and do it all in one take with no no edits or or, re- or reshoots i think i'm thinking in the spirit of i don't know if you've ever seen it but there's a uh, a Tim Heidecker adult swim show called Decker, which is an attempt to make 24 with basically no script, no idea what's <laughs> going to happen and never, never filming a scene more than once. So like everything is just loosely, loosely, loosely improvised. And it's very good, very hard to watch and good at the same time. That sounds great. I think I'd like that. That'd be a good fit for GTA three. I think that'd um, be great for, um, like I'd love, so for example, like take coat or one, uh, and mm. all of the protagonist dialogue is, you know, intact, but every NPC <laughs> is <improvised. laughs> And uh, I think you get some brilliant nonsense out of that. Mm. Yeah, that yeah, that would be a good one. I'm trying to, like uh, trying to get a cast of people to remember what the fuck they need to say in Baldur's Gate, all of Baldur's oh, Gate. Blimey. Yeah, that'd be a big yeah. task. Good though. Actually, maybe this is just a good way of doing all games. Like we struggle with the storytelling side so much. Just loosely improvised, like bad role playing. Perfect. <laughs> we're um, getting into territory of. Um, oh, there was the, there was Artemis Bridge Simulator, but then they did a Star Trek VR game, didn't they? That's right. Yeah, Bridge Star Commander? Trek VR Bridge Commander. No, I think? yes, 
That was no the Bridge Commander was the RTS, I think. Oh, I'm going to Google this. Star Trek Bridge something. Maybe it was Bridge Simulator or something like that. Maybe it was Bridge Commander. It was Bridge Bridge Crew. Was it Bridge (laughs) Crew? (laughs) It's Bridge Commander, guys. It's Bridge Commander. (laughs) Are you sure, Tom? Are you sure? (laughs) Um, We'll fix it in post. (laughs) I'm sure. It was a a VR game where everyone is assigned a role on the bridge. Star Trek Bridge Crew. I, Chris, was right. (laughs) 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 What the fuck is Bridge Commander then? Sorry, Graham. Bridge Bridge Commander is like the like old like nineties one, isn't it? Like Bridge Commander was. Hang on, we're so lost. (laughs) <laughs> We're no, so lost. no, I need to know this because I think Bridge Commander was an RTS, and I, I think I might be, I think I Chris might be correct about that as well. So I need to, I need vindication here. <laughs> Got to validate. Um, yeah, exactly. I, unfortunately, I, can, I can't use Google on my phone anymore, and I don't want to use my keyboard because it makes the bad clacky sound. Um, Star Trek Bridge Commander. Okay, Star Trek Bridge Commander is a space combat simulation video game. Uh, it's a, it's a space sim. It's a no, it's it's like a yeah. It's a, uh, it's a, it's a, it's not an RTS. I was wrong. Uh, <laughs> it's like a, yeah, an enterprise combat system simulator, basically from 19, 2002. 19, None of 2002. us were correct. It's from, it's from 19, 2002. <laughs> I'm just. Star date, cool. 19, 2002. <laughs> exactly. Right. I can't, I can't tell that I was wrong. Well, but, okay. We, fu- but... we fucked up. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> carry, carry on, Graham. <laughs> Star, Star like bridge crew there was a VR game where everyone is assigned a role on a on a, on a Star Trek spaceship, and if you've seen any one of those shows, you have some idea of what kind of character a, a science officer might be, or a, a yeah. weapons officer, or the person who's who's um, an engineering that sort of stuff. And so you can you know pick from the two or three characters that maybe you've seen in one of the Star Trek series. And start to sort of quite easily improvise. I feel like within those roles, mm. and so like that's already a game which is designed to do that. And a PC gamer, we didn't do it with that, but we did it with um, Artemis oh, yeah. Bridge Simulator. Which that was, was sort so of much a, fun. Yeah, which was like a really basic indie version of the same experience where everyone ran basically a different executable that showed them their console within the ship like the computer screen that you would be looking at if you were performing that role on board the ship and then we had to communicate with each other across the office in order to work out what was going on that was great i I think we nuked ourselves in the end it was very very good and also like we did an absolutely absurd photo shoot where we all dressed up as Star Trek officers. Mm. And uh, for some reason, I was wearing socks and no shoes. <laughs> I still don't <laughs> understand what was going through my head on that day when I, I think, got into that photo studio. I think that photo shoot happened right after I started on Gamer. It must have been a weird I introduction. Yeah. It was. I remember it being one of those things that we've all got to go to the photo studio. Yes, yeah. yeah that's right. uh, you're not coming, but we're all dressed like Star Trek people. I might be getting the <laughs> timeline wrong on that. Because there was also the Olympics photo shoot, which is also a folly, but I yep. was in that one. Yep, yep. Oh, um, we did some bad ones. That was a long time ago. Over the years. I think the thing with Star Trek, though, is it's such a it's 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 been well picked. It's a good suggestion, but it's also been well picked over for comedy in lots of other contexts. That's and true. I think one one of the things mm. that's magical about Half Life VR is that that's not really a setting that it's so specific and yet not really something that uh, you see a lot of really weird improv in and i'm trying to think if there are other games that would suit that i think morrowind is one of them i think morrowind would be good for this because that's a really weird place um in fact like also um just bethesda npcs are already super yeah. weird 
and there's so, yeah. some very funny impressions of them already. So yeah, that's a yeah. Good mm. I mean, yes. Yeah. This is a bit of a callback, but uh, one of the other things they announced at Ubisoft Forward, and I should have mentioned this before, but it was Far Cry VR. Um, called, ah. but it's it's Far Cry <laughs> VR colon dive into insanity. And it's a oh, location-based virtual reality experience. It's an actual multiplayer Far Cry VR game that you have to go to a specific building <laughs> to play. Like it's not like a thing you play in your house. And so, like the footage from the event is just. Did you ever see that X Files episode where Mo? Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Also, yes. yes. <laughs> There's a lot of people walking around with like blank expressions on their face and VR goggles holding pretend plastic assault rifles and wearing strange like vest suit things in a black room that's just covered in like zigzaggy tape all over the walls. Hmm. Um, and what you're been, talking about there, Graham, is a holodeck. <laughs> <laughs> and it's called Dive into Insanity because it's got Vass in it. Oh, of course Cry it does. No, right, okay. um, and yeah. it's like a return to that game setting and its characters. And um, from the little bit of gameplay they showed, it looks like it's just going to be like a shooting gallery. But I do quite like the idea of like multiplayer role-playing a bunch of shitty backpackers on a tropical island <laughs> talking to uh, famous Ubisoft villains. I what think about... this should be just the extended sequence where you just have to lie on the floor and Vass talks to you. Like... <laughs> <laughs> well, that's like, that's the first time you see Vass in this, this trailer. You are lying on the floor. <laughs> yeah. Standing yeah. I, I'm making does. fun of this and I really shouldn't because I've got an extensive immersive theatre background and that's basically what that is. <laughs> <laughs> there should t- to- totally be uh, a section of this game where everyone has to pretend to take some sort of uh, psychoactive drug. And then act and, crazy. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's no. a good suggestion. It looks like all the enemy NPCs are actually giant monkeys now. Oh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I wondered. Now, uh, <laughs> go on, Tom. Uh, so I wonder, Graham. Um, there are obviously like lots of sandbox games where people sort of already do this automatically. And I know, Graham, you played a lot of Worm Online back in the day. Mm. And would that be an interesting, or is it just too boring? Is it just hitting a lot of wood forever? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it was. It was just hitting a lot of wood when I played it, mm. and a lot of like walking up a hillside and getting tuckered out on the way up and having to take a rest and like leaning against a wall. Like literally they had built walls up yeah, this that, hillside. That, that's not good telly. Because otherwise you would slide back down if your stamina <laughs> bar. If your stamina bar got to, to zero, you would just start sliding back down. That, I, I live it up quite a steep hill now and I that does happen. <laughs> it's happened to me in the past as well. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, I guess like loads of streamers have used Minecraft to actually do this sort of improvisational comedy mm-hmm. yeah uh, like really successfully for the past few years and i've really yeah, enjoyed yeah. some of that so actually like it's happening all the time yeah i Shit, guess it I is actually made a point yeah fuck it's, it's not supposed to happen at the end of the podcast <laughs> do you remember when it was really really icy and we both when we lived together and we, our flat was at the top of an extremely steep hill uh, yeah and it took us fully 90 minutes to walk home <laughs> we would normally take half an hour because you could only get so far up the hill before you slid down a certain distance again and yeah was, yeah I'm, Look, I'm, I'm 
my center of gravity is not ideal <laughs> for climbing up a nice I mean, hill. I was right there with you. Like, the <laughs> taxis wouldn't get up to go up the hill because they wouldn't be able to get back down again. Buses were all shut down. Yeah, yeah, nothing was happening. Yeah. And there was definitely a point where we just decided to stop talking to each other and put our each individual <laughs> headphones in because it was like, there's no conversation we can have. This is going to make this, this is not just, shit. We just need to forget this forever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, uh, now, yeah, apparently. I've, I've told the uh, story in the podcast before about uh, um, coming back from podcast. I was so drunk, I sat on a wall and fell backwards into a bush and lost my glasses. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I'd just like to reintroduce that embarrassing story to the mix as well. Yeah, in, exactly. In walls, basically what we're saying, walls, they giveth, they taketh away. <laughs> Certainly, <laughs> do. <laughs> Certainly do. Good. Um, that's all the questions we have this week, actually. And indeed, all the questions we have time for. Uh, if you'd like to send us a question for a future episode of the podcast, you can email us the questions at creightoncrowbar.com. You can also tweet us at creightoncrowbar. You can find this podcast, many others, and even some Let's Plays and things on our YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash creightoncrowbar. Uh, we have a Discord channel full of people whom have uh, opinions and ideas and thoughts and dreams, and you can be one of those people if you like. The link is on our website, creightoncrowbar.com. Uh, some of those people and indeed some other people people generally uh, are kind enough to donate to the uh, patreon which supports this podcast and allows us to to do it um, which is a thing that we enjoy and hopefully we can pass on a measure of that value uh, if you'd like to find out more about the podcast patreon you can find out more about it that thing that i'm talking about at patreon.com forward slash great and crowbar uh, i think that's all of the links uh, i have been uh, chris thurston one of the others has been Graham Smith. Hooray for Dickless <laughs> Skeleton. <laughs> um, I've been Tom Senior, and actually, I want to give a, a little preview. Uh, we've got a film and television podcast coming out soon, and yeah, uh, it will pop up in your feed. And uh, just so you know, that we only ever charge for the core episodes of Great and Crowbar on the Patreon, so this is just like a little bonus. Uh, so thank you for all the contributors who have enabled us to do this extra experimental stuff. Nice. I think we just need to say a loud thing now and then it's over. Yeah, it seems likely. It's so small. <laughs> it is small. It seems okay to me. It seems the same size as mine. Okay. Well, it's just appearing differently to me, but as long as as long as it's okay, I just wanted to check. Yeah, I, it's you, weird. Like it looks the same size as mine, but Chris's yours looks bigger. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Marsh is gonna fucking kill us with this. <laughs> <laughs> um, but no, it's it's no smaller than anyone else's Tom. Don't worry about it. <laughs> hey. Hey. There we go. Hey.